0: chapter six part two of the pit this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain they passed down a broad corridor and at the end just before parting the heavy somber curtains jadwin pressed a couple of electric buttons and in the open space above the curtain sprang up a lambent steady glow the broker as he entered gave a long whistle The art gallery took in the height of two of the stories of the house it was shaped like a rotunda and topped with a vast airy dome of colored glass here and there about the room were glass cabinets full of bibelots ivory statuettes old snuff-boxes fans of the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries the walls themselves were covered with a multitude of pictures oils watercolors and one or two pastels but to the left of the entrance, let into the frame of the building, stood a great organ, large enough for a cathedral, and giving to view, in the dulled incandescence of the electrics, its sheaves of mighty pipes. "'Well, this is something like!' exclaimed the broker. "'I don't know much about em myself,' hazarded Jadwin, looking at the pictures. "'But Laura can tell you. We bought most of them while we were abroad, year before last.' Laura says this is the best. He indicated a large bougereau that uh, represented a group of nymphs bathing in a woodland pool. "'Huh,' said the broker. "'You wouldn't want some of your Sunday-school superintendents to see this now. This is what the boys down on the board would call a barroom picture.' But Jadwin did not laugh. "'It never struck me in just that way,' he said gravely. Oh, "'It's a fine piece of work, though,' Gretry hastened to add. "'Fine. Gr- great coloring." "'I like this one pretty well,' continued Jadwin, moving to a canvas by detail. "'It was one of the inevitable studies of a cuirassier, in this case a trumpeter, one arm high in the air, the hand clutching the trumpet, the horse foam-flecked at a furious gallop.' In the rear, through the clouds of dust, the rest of the squadron was indicated by a few points of colour. "'Yes, that's uh, pretty neat,' concurred Gretry. "'He's sure got a gait on. Lord, what a lot of accoutrements those French fellows stick on. <laughs> now our boys would chuck about three-fourths of that truck before going into action. Queer way these artists work,' he went on, peering close to the canvas look at it up close and it's just a lot of little dabs. but you get off at distance he drew back cocking his head to one side and you see how hey see how that thing bunches up pretty neat isn't it he turned from the picture and rolled his eyes about the room well well he murmured this certainly is the real thing jay i suppose now it all represents a pretty big pot of money "'I'm not quite used to it yet myself,' said Jadwin. "'I was in here last Sunday thinking it all over, the little house and the money and all, "'and it struck me as kind of queer the way things have turned out for me. "'Sam, do you know I can remember the time up there in Ottawa County, Michigan, "'on my old dad's farm, when I used to have to get up before daybreak to tend the stock?' And my sister and I used to run out quick into the stable and stand in the warm cow fodder in the stalls to warm our bare feet. She up and died when she was about eighteen, galloping consumption." "'Yes, sir. By George, how I loved that little sister of mine. You remember her, Sam. Remember how you used to come out from Grand Rapids every now and then to go squirrel-shooting with me? Oh, sure, sure. Oh, I haven't forgot. Well, I was wishing the other day that I could bring Sadie down here and, oh, I don't know, give her a good time. She never had a good time when she was alive. Work, 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 morning, noon, and night. I'd like to have made it up to her. I believe in making people happy, Sam. That's the way I take my fun. "'But well, it's too late to do it now for my little sister.' "'Well,' hazarded Gretry, "'you uh, you got a good wife in yonder, to Jadwin interrupted him. He half turned away, thrusting his hands suddenly into his pockets, partly to himself, partly to his friend. He murmured, "'You bet I have. You bet I have, Sam,' he exclaimed, then turned away again. "'Oh, well, never mind.' he murmured gretry embarrassed constrained put his chin in the air shutting his eyes in a knowing fashion i understand he answered i understand jay say uh, look at this organ here said jadwin briskly here's the thing i like to play with they crossed to the other side of the room oh you've got one of those attachment things observed the broker listen now said Jadwin. He took a perforated roll from the case near at hand and adjusted it, Gretry looking on with the solemn interest that all American businessmen have in mechanical inventions. Jadwin sat down before it, pulled out a stop or two, and placed his feet on the pedals. A vast preliminary roaring breath suffed through the pipes with a vibratory rush of power then there came a canorous snarl of bass and then abruptly with resistless charm and with full-bodied satisfying amplitude of volume the opening movement of the overture of carmen great great shouted gretry his voice raised to make himself heard that's immense the great lunged harmony was filling the entire gallery clear-cut each note clearly sharply treated with a precision that if mechanical was yet effective jadwin his eyes now on the stops now on the sliding strip of paper played on through the sonorous clamor of the pipes gretry could hear him speaking but he caught only a word or two toreador horsepower madame Calve, electric motor fine song storage battery the movement thinned out and dwindled to a strain of delicate lightness Sustained by the smallest pipes, and developing a new motif, this was twice repeated, and then ran down to a series of chords and bars that prepared for and prefigured some great effect close at hand. There was a short pause, then with the sudden releasing of a tremendous rush of sound, back surged the melody, with redoubled volume and power, to the original movement. "'That's bully! Bully!' shouted gretry clapping his hands and his eye caught by a movement on the other side of the room he turned about to see laura jadwin standing between the opened curtains at the entrance seen thus unexpectedly the broker was again overwhelmed with a sense of the beauty of jadwin's wife laura was in evening dress of black lace her arms and neck were bare her black hair was piled high upon her head a single american beauty rose knotted against her bare shoulder she was even yet slim and very tall her face pale with that unusual paleness of hers that was yet a color around her slender neck was a marvelous collar of pearls many strands deep set off and held in place by diamond clasps with laura came mrs gretry and page the broker's wife was a vivacious small rather pretty blonde woman a little angular a little faded she was garrulous witty slangy she wore turquoises in her ears morning noon and night but three years had made a vast difference in page dearborn all at once she was a young woman her straight hard little figure had developed her arms were rounded her eyes were calmer she had grown taller, broader. Her former exquisite beauty was perhaps not quite so delicate, so fine, so virginal, so charmingly angular and boyish. There was infinitely more of the woman in it, and perhaps because of this she looked more like Laura than at any time of her life before.
1: But even yet her
0: expression was one of gravity, of seriousness. There was always a certain aloofness about Page. She looked out at the world solemnly, and, as if separated from its lighter side, things humorous interested her only as inexplicable vagaries of the human animal. "'We heard the organ,' said Laura, "'so we came in. I wanted Miss Gretry to listen to it.'
1: "'The three years
0: that had just passed had been the most important years of Laura Jadwin's life.' since her marriage she had grown intellectually and morally with amazing rapidity indeed so swift had been the change that it was not so much a growth as a transformation she was no longer the same half-formed impulsive girl who had found a delight in the addresses of her three lovers and who had sat on the floor in the old home on state street and allowed landry court to hold her hand She looked back upon the Miss Dearborn of those days as though she was another person. How she had grown since then, how she had changed, how different, how infinitely more serious and sweet her life since then had become. A great fact had entered her world, a great new element that dwarfed all other thoughts, all other considerations. This was her love for her husband. It was as though until the time of her marriage she had walked in darkness, a darkness that she fancied was day, walked perversely, carelessly, and with a frivolity that was almost wicked. Then suddenly she had seen a great light. Love had entered her world. In her new heaven a new light was fixed, and all other things were seen only because of this light. All other things were touched by it, tempered by it, warmed and vivified by it. It had seemed to date from a certain evening at their country house at Geneva Lake in Wisconsin, where she had spent her honeymoon with her husband. They had been married about ten days. It was a July evening, and they were quite alone on board the little steam-yacht, the she remembered it all very plainly. It had been so warm that she had not changed her dress after dinner. She recalled that it was of honiton lace over old rose silk, and that Curtis had said it was the prettiest he had ever seen. It was an hour before midnight, and the lake was so still as to appear veritably solid. The moon was reflected upon the surface with never a ripple to blur its image." The sky was gray with starlight, and only a vague bar of black between the star shimmer and the pale shield of the water marked the shoreline. Never since that night could she hear the call of whippoorwills or the piping of night frogs that the scene did not come back to her. The little Thetis had throbbed and panted steadily. At the door of the engine room, the engineer, the gray McKinney, his back discreetly turned, sat smoking a pipe and taking the air. From time to time he would swing himself into the engine room, and the clink and scrape of his shovel made itself heard as he stoked the fire vigorously. Stretched out in a long wicker deck chair, hatless a drab coat thrown around her shoulders, Laura had sat near her husband, who had placed himself upon a camp stool, where he could reach the wheel with one hand well he said at last are you glad you married me miss dearborn and she had caught him about the neck and drawn his face down to hers and her head thrown back their lips all but touching had whispered over and over again i love you love you love you that night was final the marriage ceremony even that moment in her room when her husband had taken her in his arms and she had felt the first stirring of love in her heart all the first week of their married life had been for laura a whirl a blur she had not been able to find herself her affection for her husband came and went capriciously there were moments when she believed herself to be really unhappy then all at once she seemed to awake Not the ceremony at St. James' Church, but that awakening had been her marriage. Now it was irrevocable. She was her husband's. She belonged to him indissolubly, forever and forever. And the surrender was a glory. Laura at that moment knew that love, the supreme triumph of a woman's life, was less a victory than a capitulation. Since then her happiness had been perfect literally and truly there was not a cloud not a mote in her sunshine she had everything the love of her husband great wealth extraordinary beauty perfect health an untroubled mind friends position everything god had been good to her beyond all dreams and all deserving for her had been reserved all the prizes all the guerdons for her who had done nothing to merit them her husband she knew was no less happy in those first three years after their marriage life was one unending pageant and their happiness became for them some marvellous bewildering thing dazzling resplendent a strange glittering jeweled wonder-worker that suddenly had been put into their hands as one of the first results of this awakening laura reproached herself for having done but little for page she told herself that she had not been a good sister that often she had been unjust quick-tempered and had made the little girl to suffer because of her caprices she had not sympathized sufficiently with her small troubles so she made herself believe and had found too many occasions to ridicule page's intenseness and queer little solemnities true she had given her a good home good clothes and a good education but she should have given more more than mere duty gifts she should have been more of a companion to the little girl more of a help in fine more of a mother laura felt all at once the responsibilities of the elder sister in a family bereft of parents page was growing fast and growing astonishingly beautiful in a little while she would be a young woman and over the near horizon very soon now must inevitably loom the grave question of her marriage But it was only this realization of certain responsibilities that during the first years of her married life at any time drew away Laura's consideration from her husband. She began to get acquainted with the real man within the man that she knew now revealed himself only after marriage. Jadwin, her husband, was so different from, so infinitely better than Jadwin, her lover, that uh, Laura sometimes found herself looking back with a kind of wreck. Retrospective apprehension on the old days and the time when she was simply miss dearborn how little she had known him after all and how in the face of this ignorance this innocence this absence of any insight into his real character had she dared to take the irretrievable step that bound her to him for life the curtis jadwin of those early days was so much another man he might have been a rascal she could not have known it As it was, her husband had promptly come to be, for her, the best, the finest man she had ever known. But it might easily have been different. His attitude toward her was thoughtfulness itself. Hardly ever was he absent from her, even for a day, that he did not bring her some little present, some little keepsake, or even a bunch of flowers, when he returned in the evening. The anniversaries christmas their wedding day her birthday he always observed with great eclat he took a holiday from his business surprised her with presents under her pillow or her dinner plate and never failed to take her to the theatre in the evening however it was not only jadwin's virtues that endeared him to his wife he was no impeccable hero in her eyes he was tremendously human he had his faults his certain lovable weaknesses and it was precisely these traits that laura found so adorable for one thing jadwin could be magnificently inconsistent let him set his mind and heart upon a given pursuit pleasure or line of conduct not altogether advisable at the moment and the ingenuity of the excuses by which he justified himself were moments of elaborate sophistry yet if later he lost interest he reversed his arguments with supreme disregard for his former words then too he developed a boyish pleasure in certain unessential though cherished objects and occupations that he indulged extravagantly to the neglect of things not to say duties incontestably of more importance one of these objects was the thetis in every conceivable particular the little steam yacht was complete down to the last bolt the last coat of varnish but at times during their summer vacations when jadwin in all reason should have been supervising the laying out of certain unfinished portions of the grounds supervision which could be trusted to no subordinate he would be found aboard the thetis hatless his shirt-sleeves in solemn debate with the grey McKenny, and a cleaning-rag or monkey-wrench or paintbrush in his hand tinkering and pottering about the boat over and over again wealthy as he was he could have maintained an entire crew on board whose whole duty should have been to screw and scrub and scour but jadwin would have none of it cost too much he would declare with profound gravity He had the self-made American's handiness with implements and paint-brushes, and he would, at high noon and under a murderous sun, make the trip from the house to the dock where the Thetis was moored, for the trivial pleasure of tightening a bolt, which did not need tightening, or wake up in the night to tell Laura of some wonderful new idea he had conceived as to the equipment or decoration of the yacht. He had blustered about the extravagance of a crew, but the sums of money that went to the brightening, refitting, overhauling, repainting, and reballasting of the boat, all absolutely uncalled for, made even Laura gasp, and would have maintained a dozen sailors an entire year. This same inconsistency prevailed also in other directions. In the matter of business, Jadwin's economy was unimpeachable. He would cavil on a half-dollar's overcharge. He would put himself to downright inconvenience to save the useless expenditure of a dime, and boast of it. But no extravagance was ever too great, no time ever too valuable, when bass were to be caught. For Jadwin was a fisherman unregenerate laura though an early riser when in the city was apt to sleep late in the country and never omitted a two hours nap in the heat of the afternoon her husband improved these occasions when he was deprived of her society to indulge in his pastime never a morning so forbidding that his lines were not in the water by five o'clock never a sun so scorching that he was not coaxing a strike in the stumps and reeds in the shade under the shores It was the one pleasure he could not share with his wife. Laura was unable to bear the monotony of the slow-moving boat, the hours spent without results, the enforced idleness, the cramped positions. Only occasionally could Jadwin prevail upon her to accompany him. And then what preparations! Queen Elizabeth, approaching her barge, was attended with no less solicitude. McKenney, who sometimes acted as guide and oarsman and her husband exhausted their ingenuity to make her comfortable they held anxious debates do you think she'll like that wouldn't this make it easier for her is that the way she liked it last time jadwin himself arranged the cushions spread the carpet over the bottom of the boat handed her in found her old gloves for her baited her hook disentangled her line saw to it that the mineral water in the ice-box was sufficiently cold and performed an endless series of little attentions looking to her comfort and enjoyment it was all to no purpose and at length laura declared curtis dear it is no use you just sacrifice every bit of your pleasure to make me comfortable to make me enjoy it and i just don't i'm sorry i want to share every pleasure with you but i don't like to fish and never will you go alone i'm just a hindrance to you and though he blustered at first laura had her way End of chapter six part two